Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday edition. I am still blown away by that opening, and you'll hear a new outro later on uh, about two hours from now when we're ready to go off air. Um, And I owe a huge, special, and incredibly joyous thank you to Mr. Byron Lee, who is our executive producer behind the scenes, who's been on vacation for a couple of weeks, but he's back, and he's back with a vengeance. Byron, first off, I, I said this last week, but I have to repeat it since you're here. When I hear that every week, I, I, I can never figure out in my head if I'm sitting behind an anchor desk at CNN or MSNBC or if the doors just came down in, in, in the DeLorean and I'm about to hit the flux capacitor and take off. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You, you, made a, you made a radio show out of a DeLorean? <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, let's chat for a minute. How was your adventure? How was your vacation and how was the Illinois... Council of the Blind Convention. Oh, I'm doing pretty good, Anthony. How you doing? Uh, you know, I was just in New York for a little bit, and I just picked up an accent. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> you did, wait, wait, wait. I got to know. Did you have a slice of New York's oh, famous Ray's pizza? Oh, I had Ray's. I had Joe's. I had 99-cent pizza. Um, I tried all the pizza, and I got to say, I think the top uh, pizza, in my opinion, is Ray's, famous Ray's yep. Pizza in in Midtown, right by the 7th Avenue Station. So good. And let me ask you, did you get a Gray's Papaya hot dog? I did not. So that's another reason that I have to go back to New York now. See, I, <laughs> yeah, I the food there is so good. There's just so many options. It's amazing. Um, yeah. And then, and then I went to the uh, Illinois Council of the Blind Convention in Alton, Illinois. And uh, on Saturday morning, I was uh, I was laying in bed and I got a phone call. My phone started vibrating, and I picked it up. And on the other end, Dan Spoon was on the other end of the line. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, hello. <laughs> it was Dan calling to let me know that I had won, a, a, won something. You did. And we did a preemptive huge congratulations last week, but you weren't here. So let's do it all over again. Congratulations. <laughs> one of this year's class of the J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow. So we are really, 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 really proud and so, so deserved. So this is going to be awesome. And of course, I'm part of last year's class. So all three classes, the two virtual and the live this year, we'll be doing a bunch of stuff together at convention. So we're going to be convention buddies. (laughs) That's amazing. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Yeah, absolutely. So um, anything good coming up on the fun zone or are you taking another week off? No, I'm, I'm doing a show this week, but I haven't figured out what I'm going to do. I, I I was thinking about, you know, like 
doing some songs uh, that were like New York related, maybe. But I did that not that long ago. So I don't know. I got to figure it out. The Fun Zone, by the way, for those who are wondering, is my comedy music show that I do every Sunday night. So uh, Anthony always asks me, what's happening on the Fun Zone? Mothers. That's what I should do. Mothers. Mo- that's songs about moms. what you should do. Yes. Okay. That's well, That's what it's going to be. Speaking of moms, we have the hostess of the mostess with us today. We have Sheila Young working the hands and mute dials in the background. Welcome back to Sunday Edition. And Sheila, happy, happy Mother's Day. Thank you, Anthony. And the same to everybody out there. I hope, I don't care whether you're a mother, grandmother, mother of a dog, an aunt, a best friend, a mentor, happy Mother's Day. And we're going to get to some of that Happy Mother's Day stuff in a few minutes. But um, Margie will probably unmute at some point. Maybe she can give us a little preview of the California Council of the Blind Convention that's coming up next weekend. But in um, just a little under a month, Florida is throwing the first hybrid convention. Um, Again, (laughs) part two. So do you want to give us any highlights about um, what people can expect from Florida? Um, A lot. We've got a lot of of new things this year, so I'm very excited. It's diverse. We've got our uh, theme is empowerment, the path to the future. And our banquet speaker happens to be your guest for the second hour today. Pam Shaw is going to be our banquet speaker. So I'm very excited about that. I am really excited about that as well. We've got a bunch of great breakout sessions. Um, Gabriel, myself, and the Calm Chapter are working with Next Gen students and Cindy Hollis for um, a, an empowerment, Electric Youth. Mm-hmm. And it's all about, re, you know, retaining, engaging, and then mentoring our younger, men, our younger members into leadership of the Florida and hopefully across the country, the American Council of the Blind. Um, registration for the National Convention opens later this week. And um, there's some great stuff that was put out today. All of the tours are listed. There are two that I am got my really, really got my finger on. And I have to look at my programming to see if I can make them both work. But um, let's just say I am really excited to zip through some trees and do some zip lining. It would be the first, <laughs> the first um, athletic adventure like that that I'll, that I'll have done since I lost my eyesight. So I'm really excited. Um, any other announcements, Sheila, that you can think of? Not that I can think of, you know, everybody needs to be on the community list so you know what's going on every day. And if you are not receiving the daily community schedule, um, it you send an email to community at acb.org. And I know there's resolutions meetings this week. I know. Yes, Tuesday and Thursday. You know, uh-huh. So, you know, there's a lot going on and reg- registration does open for members on Thursday. So. And you really want to be on that community email list um, because as we as we ramp up towards convention, the, the last couple of weeks of May and the last couple of weeks of June with that virtual part, um, you're going to want you're going to want that backup information. Of course, after you register, you'll get um, all of your links sent to you if you're if you're registering for the hybrid slash virtual part of it. You'll get all your links sent to you with more than enough time, but. Um, you know, all of those calls will also be listed in the community email and you can kind of plunge, plan your schedule 
um, over the weekends when you get that weekly. I, I know I go through it every week so I can see what stuff I have to really be available for. And it's a great tool. Mm -hmm. All right. <clears throat> Please excuse me. Um, it is Mother's Day. And as some of you may have seen in the notice, I'd like to celebrate mothers from every walk. Mothers who gave birth, mothers who have become mothers by circumstance, mothers who have become mothers by choice, and moms who fill in the gaps for other moms who maybe have too much on their plate and can't do it all. So whatever version of a mom you have and want to celebrate, or if there are a couple of moms you want to celebrate, please use that Sunday edition link. You can find it on Conversation, Leadership, other various lists. You can find it on Facebook. Grab that link, come on in and join us. So Sheila, let's, um, let's talk about what Mother's Day means for you. Uh-oh, did I scare you off? I'm sorry, <laughs> did I, I muted myself. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I don't want any background noise, you know. Um, I am a proud mother of two sons. One's 44 and one's going to be 42. I have, I have grandchildren, step-grandson who's 25, down to an almost two-year-old granddaughter. And, mm. you know, I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I am extremely proud of all of them. Um, and I have, you know, when I was working, I kind of took under my wing a few of my students when I was working, and they still keep in touch with me. So I'm just extremely fortunate to be in the world I'm in and in the life I, I, I'm in with my friends and my family. So, you know, I just hope that everybody um, wishes whomever they're close to, whether it's somebody that has mentored you or whether it's somebody that has shown you love and guidance through your years, that you would wish them a happy Mother's Day. Absolutely. So now are you a nana, a nanny, a grandma? A oh gram? no, I'm I'm Graham. Yep. Graham. Graham. <laughs> Just Graham. Awesome. So folks, folks know that um, the last week of August this past year, I, I lost my mom. Her name was Linda, Linda Corona. And um, I definitely want to, to send a heavenly happy Mother's Day. Um, I, I still have my partner's mom who happens to be with us. Actually, they finally go home tomorrow. Um, and we extended it so that they were able to stay with us through Mother's Day and I did some Bath and Body Works shopping this this year, saying to myself, <laughs> all right, well, you know what? I will bestow one of my usual gifts on Gabriel's mother. And, and um, he took her out for lunch yesterday because obviously with leaving tomorrow, there's packing and straightening up the house and all that good stuff going on today. Um, but they had a nice, beautiful lunch together. And I think there was something that happened at Pandora, which is kind of cool. They can add charms to it each year. So really happy about that. Um, let's take some hands and let's talk about some of the other mothers in ACV. All right, Jane, you may unmute. Hello, Jane. To all of, yep. Um, Thank you so much, by the way. You're one of Sunday Edition's most ardent listeners, friends to the show. And I loved what you sent me today. I hope that you raised your hand so that you could talk a little about that. I think I did. <laughs> but I'm going <laughs> to raise my voice. So fui on the hand for this moment. I think it's very important to know that nurturing is the feature of being a mother that I value most. Um, nurturing can be very firm, it can be very gentle, 
um, it can own what it doesn't know and let other people be its teachers. So children can teach you. I'm the, I'm the glad mother of two and the happy grandma, although they call me G-mama. Um, and I say, well, you can switch that up to G-force anytime you want. <laughs> and um, so I, I love being a grandma to a lot of different people. I used to teach in early childhood. So I've got lots of babies in my memory. Little kids, one I accidentally reached to give him a high five and slapped his face. <laughs> and we were just astounded to go, oh, I missed your hand. Um, Jimi Hendrix said, when the power of love is greater than the love of power, there will be peace. And that is a very important uh, walking mantra for me. I sent Anthony an article today about the original mothers who gathered up to establish a Mother's Day because I'm sick of chocolate, which I would eat all of it. And my twin sister and I laugh. We talk about sending each other chocolates, but we'd have to send each other the empty box. So, um, but the original women who put this together said we are fiercely tired of the authoritarian authoritative um, paternalistic stuff that goes on for men that results in all these world problems um, some of them necessary I'm not doubting that but they just said we need to we need to take over politics and settle the hash so my uh, blessing to every nurturing person who wants a job, go settle some hash or other today and then have a heck of a great day. And bless you as you continue the program. I love it here. Thank you. What a great, what a great way to open all of this. And you know, honestly, if the Mother Teresa's of the world or just, just a group of big, strong, powerful moms got together and and cleaned up washington ak and the rest of the world i think the world would be a much better place i absolutely agree with that sentiment if there were more women in leadership more women in potential power spaces in politics i think we'd be living in a much different world all right sheila <clears throat> who's up next lynn you may unmute wow lynn. i love to, i hello Hello, congratulations on the Jewish <laughs> Hour. The Holocaust show is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. You're yeah, I, I've, I've gotten a lot of uh, kudos for that. And I'm hoping it'll be on podcast soon, but, you know, the, they'll hopefully Larry will tell me, but Gasman will tell me. But one of the things that I say as a mother of a 47-year-old young person, I'm very proud of him, and we're going to see him today, um, is just that I didn't plan him. Didn't plan to have him, but I have never been prouder of, of, of anybody in my life. I'm so happy I have him. And I love what Jane said about the power of love because, you know, unless, and I think women should rule the world. I, I, I've been a feminist since the 70s. I know it's a kind of dirty word for a lot of people, but not for me. I've been a feminist for years and years and years. And, you know, women and men have done such damage to this world by 
the war, like these authoritarians like Putin and other people like that, um, you know, Bolsonaro in Brazil and, you know, Duterte in the Philippines and uh, Erdogan in Turkey. We can go on on, Orban in Hungary. Anyway, all these people. And, you know, I just think that st step over. You just, just, just step on over, men, because we're here to change the world and bring people together. And I think that women can do so much for this world. And I feel so protective of, you know, the groups that I run, of my Jewish group. I feel so protective of them. And, you know, they're my people now. They're my group. They're my, they're my tribe. They're, you know, not just because yeah. they're, not, not because they're Jewish, just because I, I, I just feel very protective of them, especially the panelists last week. And, you know, I feel very protective and I feel like these are the people that I have to protect. And I, I felt that way about my husband and I felt that way, I feel that way about my son. And, you know, I just, just think we need some more tolerance in the world. Um, not just, not just nurturing, love, nurturing, we need to we need to listen better, and I said that um, actually during my J.P. Morgan Chase interview. And I, you know, I'm I'm a leader no matter what award I get or don't get. And you know, I think that what we what we have to do is listen. We have to pay attention. We have to uh, stop interrupting people. I think that, and I've said this about sighted people. I I have many many sighted friends, and I love sighted people. But a lot of times they're too distracted by what they see outside of themselves, not inside of themselves. And I think mm -hmm. that. We have to really listen, 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 and um, use active listening, and um, you know, and be empath empath empathic, because if we don't start listening and understanding somebody's other point of view, another point of view besides our own, and we're so bad at that in the United States, then we won't have any peace and any pr uh, prosperity or any transformation of our lives. So I'm curious if I can ask a question. Yeah. Are there any other mother figures in your son's life that you'd shout out? Well, um, I have a very, uh, my my best friend growing up was uh, uh, Karen Navy, and she sometimes comes to the Jewish Hour. Um, and so I think he, he knows that I, I've always been friendly with her, and I always thought she was really smart, although Andrea's yesterday said that I was one of the smartest people she knows. But, um, you know, I do think that, um, yes, I think he looks up to her. And I think also um, his dad's sister, uh, he kind of looked up to because she took care of him for quite a while when I was kind of depressed and not doing so well in the first couple of years of his life. But I do think that um, for the people who said that I couldn't raise him, my parents didn't think I could. They wanted me to get an abortion. It was 1974. Um, and I wouldn't do it, and I'm so glad I didn't. And, you know, it, it's just the, the, the greatest joy of my life is having my son and being so proud of him. Thank you for sharing. We really, really appreciate it. Thank Sheila, you. I know that a couple more hands went up. Who's next? Meryl, you may unmute. Hey, Meryl, welcome back. Happy Mother's Day. You might have to hit that got it. Got it. Yeah, you got to do the got it, Meryl. And if you can't find the got it, you might want to leave and come back in. And if you come back in, I will be happy to acknowledge your raised hand. All, All right, right, let's go we'll to go the next Margie. one. All right, welcome back, Margie. Happy Mother's Day. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mother's Day, wow. One of them, you know, being a mother is an incredible commitment. Um. You can't divorce your children. <laughs> you <know? laughs> 
So it really, honestly, and I, I've thought about this a lot in my life. I mean, I guess you can, but I, I could never imagine doing that. And um, some of the greatest joys of my life and the most painful days of my life have been being a mother. Um, overall, it's been a wonderful opportunity of growth um, for both my son and myself. I have one child. And um, it has really taught me unconditional love and acceptance, especially through those challenging years. But <clears throat> the other side of being a mother is being a grandmother. Mm -hmm. And it's the best part. Uh, well, I, you know, I thought it was the best part of my life when I had my son and, you know, did all the wonderful things until he hit teenagehood. And I got to tell you, being a grandmother is awesome. Um, my daughter-in-law posted last night on Facebook a note that my eight-year-old granddaughter left on her mother's bed because she was disciplined and sent to the bedroom. And it says, I'm leaving and never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I, you know, I never went through that with my son. Girls tend to be more of the runaways. <laughs> I just laughed and I'm watching all these posts and I just posted, I hope she's coming to California. Grandma will take her in. <laughs> <laughs> that, I don't know if that's the grandma support you're supposed to be giving. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Unconditional love. <laughs> I didn't tell that to Audrey though, <laughs> but today I got the pleasure of hearing both of my grandchildren and walking out with their daddy who quickly wished me a happy Mother's Day. They were off on a mission. And um, he then posted a happy Mother's Day. And, um, you know, being a mother is pretty incredible. And, and I have had other motherly figures in his life and in my life. You know, it takes a village to raise a child. And one of, the, um, one of the motherly figures I want to speak about today and it just brings tears to my eyes, but it was my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law was one of the most graceful, 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 I can't even say it, uh, one of the most beautiful people who offered so much love even after I chose to divorce her, her not her husband, I'm sorry, <laughs> her son. And, um, you know, we, I, I was with her when she passed, and she was always wow. there to support me, to help out with Jarrett. You know, I work full time and my son is J-A-R-R-E-T-T. -T. And, you know, she was always the one that when I was in San Francisco working and he forgot his trombone or he forgot his lunch that would run and take it to him. And um, from the day my son was born, she came up and wait, because I did a alternative birth where I got to leave in six hours and we were exhausted and she came up and just sat there and held Jarrett as an infant for hours and just staring at him while we tried to catch a few Z's and, wow. you know, she, she, um, I wish my mother was more part of my life, but she passed away pretty early on. So, um, I, I, she was a wonderful mother, um, given all the skills she w had to raise us with. Um, but I, I felt in, in, a much bigger part of my mother-in-law's life as an adult because she was there um, for many years. And then I've had friends who, who I've, I've leaned on as motherly figures since my mom passed away so early. And, you know, there's been many a people who's raised Jarrett, who's, who's 
shaped his life, including his wife, who is my daughter-in-law and the mother of my granddaughter, daughter. And um, I have just so much appreciation for women in general. You know, it, 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 it's so, it's not easy being a mother. It's not always easy. I should say that there's, there's hard and there's joy and there's love and there's heartbreak. And my biggest heartbreak was when my son went off to war for the first time, you know, and, um, I don't think any mom wants to see their son go off to war. And, um, you know, I had to quit watching TV. I had to start praying more and, and quit watching what the media was saying and focus on, you know, the reality of being a mother and not filling my life with fear and all of that. And the reality is, you know, it, it, love overpowers everything. And I really mean that love is the biggest healer. You know, the days our small children get boobies. What do they want is a kiss. That's a form of love. So I'm honored to be a mom. I'm proud to be a mom of the son that I have. And I'm even more proud to be a grandma because that's the easy road. (laughs) (laughs) I do call myself grandma. (laughs) That that's what I grew up with. That's what I honor, and that's what I love. So I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all you motherly figures, including men. There are plenty of men out there that Absolutely. raise their own children, and they are moms and dads to their children. So I want to acknowledge all of you. Thank you. I have a question before you go back into listening land. Can you yeah. share with us one of your mother's miracles? I think every mother has at least one miracle in their bag. One of my mother's miracles um, that happened or that I have? Eat whatever you feel like sharing. <sighs> A mother's miracle. Um, wow, you put me on the spot. Um, I'll tell you, my grandmother talked about this, you know, my whole okay. life. And in the 50s, you know, things were different in families. Punishments were different. The way we viewed how parents took care of their family and their their children was different. And my grandmother tells of of a story that my 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 aunts, my the next one above my mom, a couple of years older, um, they were very very friendly with a girl that lived down down the street from from where they where they lived, and the family was very closed mouth they were very kept to themselves but you know my aunt and and this little girl were playmates and um my grandmother knew what was going on inside that house but it was the time of you know at the time of our country where you just didn't speak about what went on in other people's houses and um she tells of a time where she heard a disturbance and took it in herself she she said something touched her something moved her it was beyond her she walked into the house and grabbed the girl her father was unfortunately spanking or, or abusing her and um, grabbed the girl, took her out, brought her down to their house. The police really didn't want to do anything about it. But three weeks later, the wife and the two kids were gone. They had left. And years later, my grandmother ran into the little girl who remembered her. And it was an, an emotional, very touching you know, story that mm. we all held with us. That one act gave the mother enough courage to get her and her daughters out of that situation 
and Lord, Lord only knows what would have happened. So there are mothers from every ilk. You can, you know, you can't be a mom and see any other children in, in, and not have it affect you. It's true. And I've, I've actually got two mothers, Miracles, um, one with my son and one with another family. And um, my son was diagnosed in kindergarten with ADHD. And um, it progressively wow. got worse. And, um, you know, the miracle is the man that he's grown up to be. And the miracle is that when we finally truly found a doctor that was an ADHD specialist, that's all he did. I was told two things. I was told my son will end up on death row or my son will be a Tom Selleck or an Einstein, both of whom had ADHD. And I committed to Tom Selleck and Einstein. He's not quite either, but, you know, the concept there. <laughs> yeah. And while he had a struggle all through his academic life, he did much better in high school. And, um, you know, he's now a crew chief. He's actually in management in the Marine Corps. He's got 16 years in. And to be so proud of someone that was a, such a challenge to raise, and um, I'll just tell the story real quickly. This is one example of what I'm so proud of, what he's, the choices he's made with the tough parenting I gave to ensure that he was going to end up a Tom Selleck or an Einstein. Well, Wait, you were tough? Me. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't use ADHD as an excuse like he wanted me to use, but, you know, he kind of forgets that I was blind. <laughs> And, um, you know, not only is he an incredible young man um, and an incredible Marine and with a lot of responsibilities, but just last summer he was deployed and he, they were in a very serious emergency situation on the helicopter in which he flies on. And same as the Kobe Bryant situation. And... Um, and to make a long story short, they weren't being allowed to fly, land and they were running out of fuel and they were 400 feet over the ocean. Now, he's not a pilot. He's a crew chief. You back up the pilot. And he had a rookie crew chief up front. He got up front. And I, I, because we're on the air, I won't use marine language. But <laughs> he, he said um, to the person, get to the back in marine language. And he jumped up there and he said to the two pilots, we're calling an emergency landing. They were 400 feet off the ocean, running out of fuel. And that was the only, if you call emergency landing, the, the, the flight tower has to let you land. And when they landed and got off that aircraft, both pilots, and I won't use marine language, hugged my son and said, you saved our lives. And that's a kid that, you know, used to tear wallpaper off the wall and used to be very destructive that can make a split life decision like that. And that's a miracle to me. Um, the other miracle I want to talk about in being just a mother and the need to be a mother and a motherly figure is um, many people know about this is um, about 20 years ago. And I, I only know it based on mine and RC's time of being together because we got this call. I got this call from Ron Brooks on a Saturday morning at 730. I had to get to a hospital. There was blind parents, and they wanted to take their kids away, their their newborn away. And oh, I quickly jumped in the shower, and I suited up just like I was going to work. And 
I don't know these people. And I asked R.C. if he is willing to drive me to Redwood City. I was living in the Bay at the time. That's about a half hour south. And he said, yes. And I walked into that room. I said, I don't know either of you, but you have to put 100% trust in me. <laughs> and I used my skills as a hospital employee at the time. I used my skills as a parent who happens to be blind. And um, I negotiated and negotiated, and I would not leave that hospital until that baby left. And mom and dad walked out with that baby at 830 at night, and we followed them out made sure they were in their car. And that was just my motherly instinct. And I would do that Bless. for any, any blind parent. I would do the same thing for any child in danger. And, you know, our motherly instincts are pretty darn strong. As you said, as somebody said recently, you know, we're knowing to lift cars in situations. And so th those are two, my, two of my motherly miracles. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Sheila, who's up next? Meryl, are you able to get unmuted? Yes. Okay. Yes, I am. Hi, back. Sheila. Thank Day. you. Well, actually, I'm not a mother, but I um, wanted to talk about my mother who's deceased. But before uh, I do that, Sheila, you started a trend. You you became a J.P. Morgan Chase Fellow in 2016, and I became one in 2020, Anthony in 2021, and Byron, I want to congratulate you so much for 2022, and we'll be getting our awards together. You know, it's going to be so yep. exciting at the convention, but... Um, my mom, um, I, I had a, a Jewish mom because I'm Jewish. And also, I want to, you know, say I'm so proud of Lynn Corral because we're great friends now. We reconnected because we were childhood friends in New York. And she and I were the co-facilitators for the Holocaust panel. And the stories were really riveting. But, um, hey, wow. yeah, thank you. But anyway, um, my mom taught me that I could do anything I wanted to do. Um, and we loved growing up in New York. She always took us to the Metropolitan Opera, to the museums, to Broadway plays, um, and, you know, went out to nice restaurants. My dad was great, too. And I, I was with her when she died. She was in hospice on November 15th of 2015, and my sister and I held her hand when, when she died. And I'll never forget that moment, but I loved her so much. And I'll be listening on the stream uh, now because I'm going to go to the gym. But thank you so much, Anthony, and God bless you, and God bless you, Byron, and Margie, thank and you. everybody. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Zelda. Uh, yeah. Hi, Zelda. Well, hello. <laughs> Good afternoon. Um, I just want to say thank you to Anthony for devoting today's topic to mothers and to mother figures. Um, you know, where would we be without them? <laughs> and so thank you, Anthony. Um, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a very strong mother, a very loving mother, but she could be very firm too. And, and I'm thankful for both. Um, you know, it it has helped me. Uh, she was a great example for for me as a mother. Um, I was fortunate to have um, given birth to to four sons, um, and and they're mm. all 
um, independent, responsible adults. And I am so very thankful for, for that. Oh, and I could not have achieved that without their father, uh, who's, you know, sometimes it's a tag team event <laughs> where we do, <laughs> we do what we can do. And, and then when you we're- You take those two, I'll take these two. <laughs> well, and when we're exhausted and can't give any more, then the other one has to take over, you know? And, and so we've, we've made a good team um, together. Um, our sons are are all married, so they've they've loved some some daughters into my life. I have four Aww. lovely lovely daughter in laws, and and together they're working as teams and have blessed us with eleven grandchildren. So my God cup bless. kind of kind of runs over. Um, you were talking about miracles. Um, I'd have to say that that each birth you know, um, of any of us and in whatever situation is a miracle. Um, but um, I, I would like to share a little story about my, my third son, uh, his senior year in high school. Um, his football team was in the football playoffs and they were having extra practices. So they were having a Sunday afternoon practice and he was on his way to, to pick up a, a friend, a fellow player, and was on a gravel road, probably traveling a little faster than he should have with gravel. And um, he ran into a deer and the deer hydroplaned the car up and over. And they they flipped several times. Um, neither one of the boys were um, wearing uh, wearing safety belts and they were both ejected out of the vehicle. And it was just a miracle that the vehicle didn't land on either one of them. And they both um, walked away with, with um, very minor injuries. Um, oh, yeah. You know, so um, we, we do as we, we can with what we have as, as parents, but those around us, you know, somebody has mentioned that it takes, takes a village or it takes a community to raise a child. I firmly believe that. Um, you know that that even those those guardian angels uh, that were watching over the, those two boys um, somehow knew that that there was a plan for their life, and and that they should survive that accident. God bless. You know, I'm I'm asking specific questions to to all the wonderful people who are sharing with us today, and I'm going to ask you an interesting one. What's it like when you're sitting and listening to your boys, four of them now, say I do and hearing a beautiful daughter that's coming into your life saying I do, knowing that, you know, what you and your husband gave to these boys was something that this, this new daughter in your life, you know, is, is, is going to experience the rest of her life. The love that you instilled is now going to partner with her love and create generation so What's that moment like when you hear those I do's? Well, it's it's been different with with each son. Um, you know, um, we we really our goal was to raise independent, responsible you know adults. We didn't expect them to to stay with us forever. We knew that day was coming, so that was our <laughs> that was our goal from the get go. You know, and and our. Um, our second son, I remember when we did the the mother son dance. Um, he so very sweetly looked to me with his blue eyes and said, "Mom, you've just been the best mom ever." 
And I said, I just did whatever I could each and every day, you know. Mm. So that was that. Um, the next son, um, she she's a very strong woman, um, the, the daughter-in-law that we gained. And we had a little rocky start in the beginning because um, I had referred to her by then. It, she was the third daughter-in-law. And as we were taking pictures, I put my arms around the girls and I said, you know, um, now I have my daughters. And, uh, you know, she had made a comment, not to me, but to somebody else that um, I don't need another mother. <laughs> Because she already had a very, you know, mother she was very um, close with. And I didn't intend to be another mother. But when they had their first child, that's when she and I developed a relationship. Because the love that we both shared for that little girl really brought us together. And, And now we're just, you know, we have the best relationship ever. So I'd say... Somebody mentioned, you know, there are painful moments being a mom. There are some disappointing moments, but there, it's it's like no other job you'll ever have. You know, it just is so fulfilling and it's well worth the time and effort um, and the emotions that we put into it. Well, your mom and your grandmother and, and all the wonderful women in your life helped to create a wonderful woman on Sunday edition right now talking about her four beautiful sons and her four beautiful daughter-in-law. So the world's, you know, it's real dark right now, but it's moments like these that we get to, we get to spread the love around a little bit and we get to, you know, love in each other's love. So thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing. It was my pleasure. And thank you for having us. Absolutely. Sheila, how many more hands do we have? Two. Melanie. You can unmute. Hello, Anthony. How are you doing? Hi, Sheila. It's good to hear you too. You too. Um, I I want to talk about a few moms. My my birth mom first. I have to. You know, how could I leave her out? She's she's still my heartbeat. No matter what, through thick and thin. I had a star, her registered, her name registered on the national star registry several years back. And she got the paper with the coordinates. And when I was in the, the psychiatric hospital for my 33rd um, in January, I they'd a group, they'd asked the question about um, your favorite star in the sky. And people were going on about the sun and things. And I said, it was my mom's. And it was my favorite. And it was really hard to do because of everything that's going on right now. But she is still my favorite. And I am just not going to, you know, hold that that animosity because she used to, I mean, it's, it's her hands and her hair. And as a preemie, I needed what she did for me. And I don't think I would be this analytical and this, you know, as go, I've gone as far as I, I had without her. I tell her at the time, the second mom, I have a cousin that's five years younger than me. I, I felt her move inside my aunt. I, um, I held her the day after she was born. I, I, I was mm. with her. We grew up together like sisters and her father was not there for her. And it was kind of like my uncle or her, my dad sort of was, I mean, he was just there and it was, we were, you know, told that that was what a father was, that they're just present. Well, now she's a registered trauma nurse at one of our local hospitals. She's pretty well locally known. And recently I said, 
your aunt told me that I'd be a bother, you know, and if I spent time with you and you've got the status and you have a paycheck and you've now got kids and things. She said, you are my advisor. I looked up to you. You're five years older than me. I said, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. She said, I wanted to spend more time with you. And her first experience inside psychiatric hospitals when she was 14, I was 19. It was like, she shouldn't have had to know, but now it's, she wants to help me. And she looks at me and she said, you really lost a lot of weight too quickly and things. You don't look too good, but now, you know, it's, it's, we're so interconnected. And the, I know there are a lot of moms in ACB who want to help me. And it feels, it feels wonderful to have that maternal tech protective force of love around me. And I, I don't know if I'll get flack for this later, but to the first mom who picked me, and who knew that I needed to get out of the situation. I'm so sorry I didn't get to say goodbye. And I wrote a testimonial for your service. And if I get if I get it, you know, it's okay. I'm so sorry. That's beautiful, Melanie. Thank you for sharing. And I know how hard you're trying to to improve your situation. And the, the path forward is there. You'll find it. But keep keep coming to ACB events, keep reaching out. We we all care very much for you. All right, Sheila, who's the next hand? Jane. Hey, Jane, before you speak, I, I want to yes. send one quick out. If you're yes. out there listening and you want to grab that Sunday edition link, maybe you also want to recognize some of the ACB moms whose momness spills out into everything they do in ACB. If, if you've got one of those testimonials, please come in, raise your hand. And um, Jane, what's up? So... ACB is one of the things I wanted to talk about. There are a couple of miracles. Um, First of all, when my twin and I were born three months premature, we were fragile. We were suspected not to live. Um, They placed us in incubators and all of that. My mother's daddy was the seventh son of a mid uh, of a Nebraska family and he then moved to San Antonio Texas and she called her daddy and said what do I do these girls are this early they're fragile and he said to her honey do you want to do the work of getting them through or do you want to let life end for them you're going to have to decide that and she said yes and I have been grateful for her yes in my life we um my mother was the boss mother She worked full-time at a college in Oregon and then moved to New York City and took a different job there. But while we girls and our two brothers were growing up, we had a wonderful woman whom we called our heart mama. She was always there for us. She taught me about respect she came to the hospital one time to visit me when I had pneumonia and the nurses had moved my wheelchair out by the elevator so I could entertain myself with all the people coming and going 
uh, a hospital staff walked up to Yulee and said, did you bring this girl out here? Did you push her wheelchair out here? And I knew that was wrong. And I just said to him, you're rude. She didn't bring me out here. The nurses did. She came to visit me because she loves me. And he went away. Now, Eulalie was from the South, grew up as a sharecropper, and had to try to escape the South twice before she made it away from there during the early 1900s um, migration that that was so spontaneously uh, made to happen. So she was, she was for Mary, my twin and me, our heart mama, and our mom was our boss mama, and we were blessed to have them both. When I think about ACB, I don't even know all of the different people who have touched me over the years of my coming and going, and finally my settling to be an ACB lifetime member. But I really love um, a few of the programs. I love this one. I love Peter Ochel's program. I love the Gospel Sing program. I love the Morning Good Morning Crew program. And I'm beginning to check out some others and want to make some steps to be useful and helpful. So I love ACB for its, its nurturing of people and saying, get up and get moving with all your being. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Byron. Hello. Good morning, everybody, or good afternoon. <laughs> um, yeah, so I wanted to talk a little bit about my uh -huh. mom because my mom uh, really shaped me and, you know, she she uh, instilled patience and kindness and understanding in me. And the the one pinnacle moment that I can remember that <clears throat> that really shaped me was one day we one day I was on the computer and we had this like, you know, DOS uh, computer, this IBM compatible computer. And you had to, you had to type everything in. You couldn't just point and click. You had to like, you know, type in a command in DOS to get your games to load. And I was trying to get some game to load. And my mom's like, Oh, I think you're supposed to do da 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 da. And I was like, mom, I know what I'm doing. And she grabbed me by the ear and she pulled me off the computer. Like literally the chair, <laughs> the chair, you know, rolled away from me as I was being yanked off the computer. And she goes, number one, you're acting like your father. You know, okay. <laughs> love my father. I love my father. Don't want to be like him. Right. <laughs> so number one, you're acting like your father. Number two, no matter how much you think you know about something, there's always someone who will surprise you with what they will teach you. So always keep your ears open and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you know, so she was just like, um, try to listen, be an active listener, uh, try to strive to learn things from people and don't always assume that, you know, more than everyone else around you. And that really taught me something. Um, it gave me the, the kindness and the patience and the, um, uh, it, to be a teacher, to to show someone how to use technology is is a taxing job. It's something that's not easy and it requires patience, but it also 
requires the ability to let the person that you're working with show you how they use this the stuff how you know let them teach you something i learned so much from my clients and that was only because i was willing to listen to what they had to say so you know my mother was just instrumental in in making me the person that i am today and i just you know thank you mom <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing that, Byron. Are there any other mother figures that you'd want to shout out? Oh my goodness, so many. Um, you know, she's she's not with us, uh, you know, but but I wanted to shout out Marlena. Uh, Marlena, I always say her name wrong. Uh Marlena was an amazing mother figure to ACB and um you know, did so much for us and, and did a really great show on, on ACB radio and just had that motherly voice. Um, and, and, uh, Janet Dickelman is our convention mama. So, oh, heck yes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> shout out Janet. Absolutely. So, you know, um, Sunday edition and pride connection and a bunch of other shows that are on ACB media probably wouldn't have happened without Debbie Hazelton. Um, and I definitely wanted to send a shout out to Debbie Hazelton today. You are sort of the ACB media mama for a very long time. And I definitely wanted to shout out Janet Dickelman, um, our convention ba- mama bear, um, as, as I like to call her. And she really, um, the love that she spreads around, the patience, my God, the patience that she has is incredible. And every year, you know, every year that, that we all get to experience a convention, you know, a good 85% of it is on her back and her front and her shoes and her hair and her fingertips. I, I mean, I, I can't say, I can't say enough. Um, I saw a hand go up that you I've been did. waiting for. You did. Um, <laughs> yeah, Gabriel. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's unmute. Gabriel, I wanted you to join us um because i want to shout out your mom um i want to wish your mom the best mother's day ever i want to thank her for being an oh my god an incredible person friend cook um you know I've, it's been bittersweet the last couple months today's a little bittersweet it's the first one without my my birth mom but having your mom here loving the way she loves with as much power and as much grace and and all of that makes it just a little bit easier um than i than i thought it was going to be and i know you want to shout out mama (laughs) so take it away gabe gabriel you need to um hit the got it gabriel there you are unmute here (laughs) there you are you have to unmute (laughs) happy mother's day madam president thank you (laughs) well thank you anthony for this opportunity to come on Sunday edition, and um, just to express my love, my gratitude, my absolute, just, God, what a blessing to have had and continue having the mother that I have. I know we all say it, but I honestly say it without a single ounce of doubt. My mom is the best. I was blessed with just not only an ally, a friend a warrior, an excellent chef, <laughs> the best, I would say. <laughs> uh, I've said it many times in uh, many uh, other programs of uh, the American Council of the Blind. My mother, as I was losing my sight, I was going through law school in Honduras, 
my mother um, dedicated half of her days, if not more, to reading and recording thousands and thousands of pages of uh, law school books and codes and whatnot so that I could um, graduate. If it wouldn't have been for her, I wouldn't have never been able to um, fulfill my law degree in Honduras. And, and she's been, I've always said my mother, before being a wife, before being a woman, before being a sister, she's a mother. And, and, I, yeah. and I will forever, ever, ever be thankful with God for having granted me the best mom in the world. Mama, I love you. I know she's listening. We love <laughs> you, Marina. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> and happy Mother's Day to all moms out there. And um, Anthony, you know you have an adoptive mom. I know it's your first year without Miss Linda, but you know you have a lot of love here in this home. I know. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. God bless. <sighs> All right. We'll take one more hand before we segue into our other topic today. Margie. Sheila, who's up? All right. Margie, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to an ACB mom that I've known for many, 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 many years. That's Marjorie Beeman. She is the love of ACB. She's the motherly figure. She's always there to help in Ain't any way truth. she can. Personally, if you're having a hard time, she opens her arms and just a beautiful soul. Thank you, Marjorie Beeman. Absolutely. And her, her um, is it strawberry banana bread, Sheila? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her strawberry banana bread is auction legend. And speaking of auction, I'm going to well throw in a plug real quick. The Florida Council of the Blind auction is coming up, as is the ACB summer auction. So if you've got a couple of extra coins that are rattling around in those pockets, put them aside, put them on the dresser or whatever it be, because we're going to be raising some money for Florida and raising some money nationally with our auctions. And a big, huge shout out to Leslie Spoon and our committee who puts them together. All right, I know that we still have hands coming up. Uh, Sheila, how many are there? Uh, You only have one hand. And before we take this hand, could I wish a happy Mother's Day to ACB community mom, Cindy Hollis? Absolutely. Yes, you can. She is definitely the mother of the community, so. Yes, Mama Karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) That too. (laughs) I, I think... The only thing that could drive a wedge between Cindy Hollis and the heart of the community is if she were to ever announce that karaoke was being canceled. <laughs> All right, let's do Lynn real right, quick. You have, and you have one more hand, up. Lynn, and then we're going to the next segment. I, I wanted to say, and a lot of you may not know this person, but somebody I really looked up to in ACB as a mom was Pat Price. Um, she really mentored me when I came into ACB while well, well, I was an ACB member since the early 80s, but basically when I started going to conventions full-time in 1993 with my husband, she was a real mentor, and <clears throat> we'd ask her, who who is this person to vote for? Who is that person to vote for? And she was very instrumental to to me, uh, Pat and Marv Price. So, and Pat was a former Secretary of American Council of the Blind. So I wanted to give a shout-out to her. And also, Zelda's story was so um, poignant, and I would say, also, Anthony, one of the miracles I can think of is, you know, I didn't, I never really, uh, I don't believe in corporal punishment. I never have. And so when my husband, when my son 
had a problem. Um, he had taken some candy from some place. I actually took the bus and found him. I didn't hit him like, you know, one of the other parents did. He was like ninth grade or something like that. I just took him and talked to him and told him I was very disappointed in him. And I, you know, talked to him on the bus. He said, are you going to hit me? No, I'm not going to do that. So I think that, you know, to me, talking to somebody, being reasonable with them, reasoning with them, I think, um, you know, we, we don't really... Uh, we don't really talk about child abuse like it really is child abuse, but I wanted to make sure that I used as little corporal punishment on my, on my son as possible, and that's really a miracle for me. God bless. God bless. Well, Sunday Edition wants to wish a beautiful and loving, full of joy Mother's Day to every mother from what, <coughs> whatever walk excuse me, of motherhood that you come from. Happy, happy Mother's Day. And thank you to every mother figure out there who nourishes, who loves, who provides support, who just is there. So we're going to transition now. I am so very pleased to welcome back to Sunday Edition, Florida Council of the Blind Banquet keynote speaker and presentator galore, um, friend to Sunday Edition, Miss Pam Shaw. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello, and congratulations on call number one, um, Stigma. Stigma free in ACB. Wonder who came up with that title. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk a little. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. We are going to talk a little bit about May being Mental Health Awareness Month. And I posed a question, and we'll get to that. We'll have some callers raise their hands. But I wanted to ask you, Pam, what, you know, you work in, in the profession in various capacities. You've been a part of hundreds, if not thousands, of people's emotional well-being journey. What does it mean to you as a facilitator, as someone who who wakes up every day going into this world? What does Mental Health Awareness Month mean for you? I think it is fantastic that we as a nation would take the time to pause and focus on this very critical matter. The, the statistics, if you will, are frightening, to be honest with you. But the reality is that, at least in our country, one out of four Americans is living with a mental health condition. And for me to see us be able to talk about it and share our stories and not treat it like it's something in the closet, because here's the truth. If it's not you, it's a family member, it's a friend, it's a coworker. So for me, I'm just honored to be able to serve um, in this particular circumstance in whatever way I can. I don't, I don't really take um, a lot of the credit for it, but I give it to those courageous people who are ready, willing, and able to take on this particular issue within our society. This has been something that Sunday Edition has paid attention to from the very beginning. It's something that, you know, there's a lot of mental illness in my family. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, just growing up in a place like New York, you can't not understand and know that everybody's journey takes them in so many different ways, so many different places. And some of those journeys are lonely and they're dark and they're scary. 
and you know you see a person on the bus or the train and they're talking to themselves or or you know their head is wrapped in an aluminum foil and i'm not saying this to be judgmental or or to um you know highlight the 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 worst i'm saying this because that's 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 what you see in new york you see everything it's all right there for you but sometimes cited or not cited sometimes we don't really look we don't really pay attention we'll laugh you know hey i saw this woman on the train she had her head covered in foil and she was talking to some alien you know and it's it's a funny anecdote for the day we don't really look we don't understand that 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 person probably deals with an immense amount of pain and frustration and fear every day and so you know when you translate that that number that you just said one out of every four persons has some level of something going on and i think that the world is moving so fast it's 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 part of the the daily consciousness to train yourself to just look past to do what you need to do to get through the day but sometimes we have to stop and reset ourselves so for me mental health awareness month knowing that we're going to take the time to delve into making ourselves more emotionally compassionate more emotionally available and more emotionally well for ourselves and for others means so much to me personally and to be able to have this platform Sunday edition to talk about it I'm very very proud and and very happy to have the American Council of the Blind ACP Media and all these wonderful folks who are calling in and, and being a part of the show so I'm glad I you said something, Anthony. I just want to say something towards the end that you said that I think is real critical, is that the other side of it is developing lifestyles that also give us some focus on prevention. Yes. That's, thank you. <laughs> well, you know what? Before I jump, jump into the question itself, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, I've said this on Sunday edition many, many times, and I make the joke, you know, it started because of terrorism and things like that. But there's a phrase that I, I, I daily use in my life. If I see something, say something. And that could mm. be, you know, my, my sister-in-law getting frustrated with the kids and maybe raising her voice and saying things that she, in a more rational mind, would not have wanted to say, pointing it out or taking her outside for five minutes just to get some big, you know, big gulps of fresh air. It's amazing how deep breathing and fresh air can really help you reset mm -hmm. your mind. But I'm known to digress. I, I truly do believe that it takes a village and that we've worked ourselves as a country and maybe as a world into not saying, not speaking up, not handing that support because we're so afraid that we're going to get our hands slapped back at us. So let's talk a little bit about prevention, Pam. What, what are some of the things that we can do in our worlds and in our ACB community to help prevent others from falling so far? Well, I, what I would say to that, and I'm going to answer that with one word, and it has to do with lifestyle. This was not always the thought because most people said, well, it, you wait until it happens or you or you address it then. So it's relatively recent that there's been a lot more um, discussion in the mental health community about lifestyle changes, things you can do right now that will protect your mental health and promote wellness. So I'll give you a few of them. One of them, and you, some of you who know me and are part of the Get Up and Get Moving community know that one of them is activity. They are telling us now that inactivity is the new smoking. 
that the reality is the connection between inactivity. Note, I'm using the word activity as opposed to exercise. Because most people, when they hear exercise, they think of a formal 30 minutes or something like that. But just the movement that you have day to day will make a difference. Another one that's being talked about a lot is nutrition. Yes, 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 yes. What you put in your mouth affects your mental health. And then, of course, we have the age-old one that we're still talking about, but there's ways to deal with even that, and that is stress. We're going to have some stress, but there's some things you can do, and we all can do, to reduce stress. Here's another one, sleep. Sleep. They're telling (laughs) us that too many of us are sleep-deprived, and it is affecting our mental health. Another one is, and this is a big one, relationships. Relationships. They can make the difference. And, you know, we're living in a world that sometimes says, well, you know, you really don't have to be connected to people. And, you know, we'll call everybody a friend, especially if you're on Facebook. But good relationships, healthy relationships, supportive relationships are critical. And then the last one that I would reference is that we must give consideration when it comes to our health, our mental health, is risky substances. And that is some, yes, some of them are the drugs, but there are actually some substances that research is showing affect our mental health. And this is kind of surprising to me, but it is what it is. Now get a load of this audience, salt, oil, sugar, caffeine. Now, isn't that interesting? And so, yes, indeed, we are talking about the risky subjects that we, we risky substances that we talk about. We know that certain things mismanaged, like alcohol and opiates and things like that. But now, more and more is coming out about some things that they've put in there. So, Anthony, those are about the six big ones that I would speak to people about when it comes to prevention and maintaining. That's what I want to say: maintaining um, good mental health and wellness. So I want to share a funny story with uh, you and our listeners. Um, Gabriel and I, early on in the relationship, decided that sleep was something that everybody's talking about. It's something that we didn't feel that we were getting the best quality of or had the best sleep routine. I hear this a lot on various podcasts, that you really actually have to give yourself a sleep routine. Well, we said, okay, well, we keep hearing about this wonderful bed, the sleep number bed. Let's go test it out. Give it a shot. Um, They give it to you for 30 days. If if you so choose, want to send it back on the 29th day and say, it's not working for me. You get all your money back. So we said, all right, we got nothing to lose. Well, my bed sends me reports. It sends me how I'm doing. It tells me how I can improve my sleep. And when I was in New York, before my mom passed, when I think, oh my God, thank God I got that last visit and and I will cherish that for the rest of my life. My bed sent me a message and apparently one of our guide dogs had taken to sleeping on my side of the bed while I was gone. And my bed sent me a message that I was all kinds of screwed up and I might need to go see a doctor real soon because my numbers were all kinds of off. So, but, you know, that funniness to say that sleeping really has, has changed um, my, you know, or let me rephrase that finding a sleep routine and a pattern Mm. and, and finding my best sleep has improved my life incredibly. 
Um, I think we'll talk about some of these other preventative measures in the coming months as we put out. Mm -hmm. There is a group of us that are working on some programming and stay tuned. There'll be some announcements coming up. Um, but that is definitely some of the topics that we're going to be hitting. Pam, we've got three, is it three more? Yeah, we've got three more programs coming up this month. Do you want to give a quick little teaser as to what else we're doing? Well, put it to you this way. When it comes to mental health and wellness, there are a lot of place we can di- places we can dip and dab in, but we are actually going to do a program that has to do with music and the way it contributes to mental health and wellness. So we're going to hear some songs that inspire members of our community, that encourage, that lift them up, that calm them down. And music is a great one. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that. There's also going to be some time to talk about, I'll use the big word, but then I'll bring it down, intersectionality between blindness and mental health. So what happens <laughs> when blindness <laughs> meets mental health? And some of the challenges that we experience as blind people who are dealing with mental health conditions, but as well as maintaining wellness. And then one we're going to do, with the we're working on it, we intend to have a movie, an audio described movie, that'll be interesting for us to watch. And then when it's over, we're going to talk in terms of listening session mode about what we're really doing and the difference that it's making and hear from the community on the thoughts. Now, also just want to add in there that while this is going on in some other things, a lot of the emphasis is being put on hearing from people, hearing from community, what you want, because this whole thing started because we heard the request of the community. So thanks, Anthony, for allowing me to share that. Absolutely. And that is the absolute perfect segue into the open topic of conversation. So please join us and get those hands up. We're going to talk a little bit now about how we can support each other, how we can use the community, the bond, the family that we create here in ACB to help each other and help our emotional well-being, how we can support each other. So Pam, is there, are there any thoughts you want to share before we start taking hands? Sure. Um, You know, and I can share this just from a personal perspective. I found it really nice to go to the conventions and the events and things like that. But so much, I got so much at convention. But what I needed a lot was the in-between. And I think being able to connect with people like that all across the country, and I might as well say around the world, that's meant the most to me. So for me, that's why you hear me reference a lot family, because that, in addition to my biological family, um, my ACB family just just has meant a lot. And some of you know, on a personal note, during those years where I was caring for my mom with Alzheimer's, I stayed in touch with a lot of people and it did make a difference. So that's um, my comment on those in-between moments of, of even our conventions. Thanks. Absolutely. So Sheila, let's start taking some hands. Who do we have up first? Melanie. Hey, Melanie. Welcome back. Hello. I had to get this one. I'm sorry. I missed Tuesday. I was pretty crashed. So much is going on right now. And I saw it afterwards. I thought, ding back. Come on. Why did you? Um, I, Pam, I remember you saying on one of the other Sunday editions um, regarding racism, you mentioned trauma and the reaction to it and the, the 
um, I was listening to Risabilities, and you'd said um, you don't take insurance as a life coach because you don't want to have to diagnose people with a mental illness. And I, I, I love it. I love you. We're reacting to too. trauma, and it's what I mentioned in the form article. And these diagnoses, I mean, yeah, insurance needs them. And it's just the fact that we can get so focused on these labels. And I, I don't know mm-hmm. if this is okay to do, but I announced my candidacy for the National Board of Directors just a few days ago. I made the decision because of the mental health, the anything additional going on, and where we need to focus is the inclusion and the the, the welcoming and the, the the diversity and accepting everyone in ACB. And I really want to focus here. And sometimes I'll just obsessively read the code of conduct. And I'll think, okay, I can't facilitate a call now. I'm too afraid I can't speak up. I'll be stopped like I have been before. And my family tells me I can't say anything, but we have to speak up. And events that are traumatic that someone might not think of, someone else experiences as traumatic. And because we have to be aware of our environments and our surroundings, I I love to hear about the experiences of others in the community. And if we speak of something and are told we can't share a memory, and I get a lot of that anyway, I I want to be able to help someone who either hears my memory, if I hear theirs, I want to know how visual impairment factored and how they got through it. And maybe they need to know because maybe they need to be checked on right now. And if they're triggered by something someone else has spoken of, maybe they need to be contacted because loneliness and isolation is one of the heaviest, darkest disgusting plagues that we're dealing with right now during this pandemic so it's why I made that decision and I I hope I can you know with everything I pretty much stopped eating so I don't know I don't have medical care and everything and I don't sleep so I hope I can it's one of the reasons I'm holding on so if we can focus on trauma um, Melanie, first of all, thank you very, very much for raising these kinds of issues because they become very important. I'll start with the last one, and then I'll come backwards. One, and this is why when we were talking just a few minutes ago about mental health, we talked about this whole issue of relationships. Because again, and, and some of this came forward, although we knew it before the pandemic, but it really showed up during the pandemic about what yeah. can happen with isolation and rejection and, and so many things. And, and you can tell that this, even in our community, I mean, let's face it, a lot of our community calls grew out of the concern about yeah. isolation and the people to stay connected during this time. And even though they may be about some particular thing, I think at the core of some of them is, is not being isolated whether it was me going on a call because I needed to start cooking again and I needed some help with what I needed and I got some community out of that kind of thing. And so I think that's very important. The other thing that I'd like to make a point to relative to what you said is the whole issue of trauma. And we are talking about that more and more, even from childhood, because one of the things that a lot of people feel right now, this is some people, but everybody, you know, as you know, doesn't agree, is that um, early childhood trauma is often the cause of adult mental, quote unquote, mental illness. Now, that's just conjecture, but oh, there is some research, though. So the, the trauma that we experience has to be addressed. See, that's kind of the challenge. And what you're saying is so true, unless we can talk about it. It is an issue, but here's the baseline issue before we even get to talking, and this is one of the um, one of the things that this group is focusing on, is education. 
We've got to be better educated about this, and that also helps us to get more comfortable talking about it. So, again, thank you, Anthony. I'll turn it over to you for any comments. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think I think the first thing um, that we need to focus on, like like you were saying, Pam, is education, because I think when people hear the word trauma, they think, of course, PTSD. Um, major, you know, major traumatic events, whether it be overseas in war or, God forbid, a, you know, a traumatic event, a fire, a, you know, an accident, um, you know, but we don't think about the little trauma. And I categorize the pandemic as one of the littler traumas. Not little to everyone who's experiencing it, but in comparison to the, the traumas that we traditionally think about when we think about trauma, but having to completely uproot our lives and go from being out in the world every day, hours a day, to maybe getting out of the house once or twice a week, you know, that's a trauma in itself. Having to turn on what, whether it be our device, our television, uh, our phone, to find out what are the numbers? How safe am I if I go to the grocery store? That's trauma in itself. Um, as well. And so I think the more we educate ourselves to how we feel personally, how we feel as a community, and how we feel as a human race, the things that are commonalities, somebody passes away, we feel sad. Somebody hurts themselves, then we feel pain. I hope that we also, as witnesses, will feel empathy. And we'll feel compassion and we'll want to reach out to make that hurt less. Um, and how do we do that? It all comes to me. It all comes back to educating and, and figuring out not only, you know, what is um, treatment resistant depression or what is a specific medication? What is it used for? We need to educate ourselves or re-educate ourselves on feelings and on social interactions and on the niceties that we adopt as a community that we're supposed to follow so that we can rape civilly and be wonderful and maybe not have folks, you, you know, attacking airline personnel because they don't want to wear a mask. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think the more that we raise the education, the more that we, we, we tackle these, these specific instances that are happening in, in, in our community from a, a more compassionate standpoint. So that's my point on that. Um, any follow-up or should we take another hand, Pam? I'm ready for another hand. All right, she lands up. Lynn? Hi, first of all, I want to thank Pam for um, when we had uh, in 20, 2003 um, work on trauma and disability, I want to thank her for noticing that I had done oh, work yeah. on trauma and disability. So I want to thank Pam, Pam personally yeah. and publicly for um, noticing that I had done work on that uh, a long time ago um, in uh, Los Angeles um, on the Rape and Battering Hotline. But, yeah. you know, I, I, um, I really think that one of the things that I hear so much and I listen to people so much about what how they're talking is putting themselves down, putting themselves down in a negative way, saying yeah. that they're stupid or lazy or, you know, I, I saw Melody doing that a little bit. And I just think we have to be so careful about how we talk to ourselves, how we talk to each other and not be judgmental and not be <clears throat> harsh and coarse and, and things like this. And um, like 
um, uh, Anthony was saying, I have a lot of mental uh, illness in my family, and maybe it's the women in my family, maybe it's the Jewish part of my family, but um, my mother's mother and my father's mother. My father's mother uh, was put in a mental hospital after she tried to commit suicide when my dad was 13. And my mother's mother had electroconvulsive therapy, which I think is barbaric. And my dad said he used to drive her to those appointments, and that shocks me, you know. But um, And then my mother had depression so uh, and took medication, but I never have taken medication for depression. Um, and I think what you said, Pam, was so telling about nutrition and sleep and uh activity instead of exercise and just things that we have relationships those four things that i can remember mm -hmm. and um i have been pretty isolated i think i'm not sure it's a little trauma uh anthony i think that you know when i moved during the pandemic to washington state um i mean it was it was bound to happen uh due to family circumstances my dad went to independent living my brother who has no verbal functioning anymore and my older brother mm. uh doesn't recognize anybody anymore so you know i had to, to leave but um <clears throat> but i'm near my son and that's a, and that's a blessing so you know i do think that you know this thing about ment mental health um how we can really help ourselves instead of thinking about mental illness how we can uh augment mental health and of course like i said the the, base, the basic theme of my dissertation is about stigma because that's what I found that all the articles I've read is all about stigma, 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 mm -hmm. and disability. Yeah. So I think that this is a real big deal. And I think it's real, a real big deal that, that we're taking the reins and running with them to really tackle this topic because I don't think that we really notice how many people are, are um, working with uh, mental health conditions or also that alcohol and drug abuse and um, substance abuse um, basically contributes to mental health uh, conditions sure. um, and you know things like that and i've said this for many years about the amount of alcoholism in the blind community so yeah. um you know i think it's a big deal and i i agree with you that there uh, are you know salt and the, the salt and the, the oil and uh, i don't drink coffee caffeine and, and the other one um very, very, very much that we have to think about what we're eating. We have to think, we have to really make conscious decisions about how we talk to ourselves and how we eat and how we uh, have activity in our lives. Thank you so much, Pam. And thank you, Anthony. And by the way, congratulations yeah. to Byron. Lynn, before you go, um, yes. it took you a while to get the, the Jewish hour started. Um, yeah. What, you know, you said something that I think is really powerful. I, I can't see anymore, but I still talk to myself in the mirror. I still have checking <laughs> conversations with myself. So what kind of things do you tell yourself on a daily basis? And what kind of things do you tell yourself before you, you, you open up one of your calls? How do you get yourself? And we, I, I, I'm sorry, I wanted to start out with this and I forgot. We as the group that are working to, to really promote mental health awareness, wanted to brand it with a second, with a second title, Emotional Wellbeing. Yeah. Because you don't have to be diagnosed to have your emotional well-being in, you know, in flux or out of flux. And you don't necessarily yeah. have to be depressed or um, schizophrenic or something to not be emotionally well-balanced. So we want to we tackle it from, from all areas possible. Absolutely. So what are Absolutely. some of the things you tell yourself on a daily basis? Well, you know what? Uh, I was I was visiting my dad in February, and he uh, I was actually in his room uh, 
at some of my calls, and he says, my goodness, Lynn, you are so good at facilitating. You just got the nugget of what people are saying. I mean, he was really amazed. And, you know, what I tell myself on a daily basis, and actually um, Andrea said this to me yesterday that I was one of the smartest people she knows. You know, I think that what I tell myself is that I can do this. I am a good facilitator. I'm a very good public speaker. I've been doing it for years and years and years in the state legislature in Alaska and other places. So, you know, I think what I tell myself is that um, people need me to show up. They need me to show up for these uh, for the groups that I have. They need yes. me to show up and listen to them. They need me to show up and know that they are cared about and listened to um, authentically, not you know pretentiously. And they need to know that I really care about these people. And every time on my call, every time when the call is about to end, I say, I am so happy you came today. I love all of you. I welcome all of you. Thank you so much for being there. Because I don't think people hear that enough. So that's what I do. Pam, I don't know about you, but I think show up right there is such an important phrase. Show up. And I'm going to give you a couple of things, Lynn. Um, one of these is just, you know, as a coach and as now that I'm, I'm not practicing therapy, some things still come to mind. But one of them is I want to give you a term because this is where you opened, okay? The term is self-compassion. Yes. Many of us are very compassionate towards other people, but we yep. treat ourselves in a way that we would never stand for someone else being treated. We would never. Yep. And so we want to take that up. We're probably going to take that up later on in some type of a workshop aspect, but it's Good. very, very critical. Um, the other thing is, is the idea of self-talk. What are you saying to yourself? And I just encourage people, however I'm working with them, or even just in my friendships, to develop some affirmations or find some or have something that says something to you about the good in you, about your worth, about your self-worth. Because unfortunately, we're all absorbing a lot of negative things all day long. Whether we're, yeah. you know, social media or just exactly. media, period, or some of the things we've been hearing down through the years. And we, we bought into, particularly as blind people, as it, we have bought into some limiting beliefs that do us harm. And so often, particularly if I have um, a client who's blind, regarding a, regardless of the coaching issue, there at some point we've got to deal with these self-limiting beliefs, right. things that people have told us. Some of us go all the way back to elementary school. You know? yep. I was yep. told certain things uh, me by too. teachers. Me too. I, I think they meant no harm, but they've been problematic. So, so it's kind of that self-compassion for yourself. Um, being careful what you're taking in and daily. I like the word, the, the fact that you were asked, Lynn, what you do daily. And I love the fact that you had an answer. So thank you. Yes. Thank Absolutely. you so much, both of you. Thank you. I love you both. Right thank back at you. you. All right, Sheila, who's up? Byron. Hey, everybody. Um, you know, one of the things that I deal with a lot is imposter syndrome. You know, I, I <laughs> like on a daily basis, I'm like, <laughs> how did I get here? Um, you know, I, how, how did I, I'm not good enough for this job or I'm not good enough for this position or I'm not good enough for this award or I'm not good enough. Like, I, you know, I'd love to hear like 
you know, some thoughts on imposter syndrome and, and how to deal with that? Because I, I deal with that on a daily basis. Okay, Anthony, I'll let you go for that one. Then I'll speak after you finish. Well, you know, I, I'm going to say that an ACB committee full of some bright, talented, compassionate leaders really can't be wrong if they recognize what I recognize and what folks in BPI and NextGen and all of the states that you've assisted all, I would imagine if they did a poll of, of your clients, um, for those who, who weren't listening to Sunday Edition a couple of weeks back when we congratulated Byron on the new job as well, one of his biggest um, uh, hurdles was leaving his folks behind, these relationships that he built, um, you know, and, and, and he testified that leaving them behind was, was hurting his heart a little bit. I, I would turn that around and say that if we polled, you know, your folks there in Minnesota that you've, that you've been working with, they would probably say that their heart is breaking a little bit too, because I know, I know you as a person, you are absolutely well-deserving of all of the, the love that, that your ACB, BPI, your, your, you know, born in family, your friend family, you, you know, Sage in New York and all of the, what we see in you is you. Now you need to proverbially look in that mirror and, and take apart the things that we see in you and tell yourself that's truth. Um, I can't speak on the imposter syndrome itself too much. I'm going to be very clear. I have a lot of experience adjacent to emotional well-being and mental health, but I am not a professional. But Pam, um, I'd love to hear whatever thoughts you have. Well, first of all, <laughs> here goes the disclaimer, okay? I cannot <laughs> give you therapeutic advice, especially psychotherapeutic advice. What I can say to you is a very, very basic statement. Whenever you have something, and this is whether you're talking about a habit or anything, anything, and you want it to be gone, you want to change it, you are going to have to replace it to, with something. Let me give yep. you an example. And when I was, um, a lot of my social work career was in child welfare. So I worked with a lot of abuse cases. And one thing I learned, you cannot just walk up to a parent and say, do not hit your child. Or do not talk to your child like that. You had to help that parent develop other strategies for dealing with discipline. Okay? You had to help them develop other ways of getting their points across without being negative. So, so often we've got these things and we try to get rid of them, but we don't replace them with things that are, are good. I'll give an example in my personal life. For health reasons, I now, um, eat, I now live a whole food plant-based lifestyle. That's another way of saying vegan, okay? Well, it was fine to okay. tell me don't eat meat, but I needed a burger. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I needed tacos and I needed pizza. <laughs> so you couldn't just tell me don't have those things. I needed to know how I could have them and still go on my journey towards health. So what I would say, Byron, look at replacing some of those things, some of those attitudes with things that are more positive and throw the other stuff out. And if you have to physically do something like, I don't know what your medium is that you use. Um, my thing was I would braille the stuff out and tear up the paper and throw it in the trash. 
If I can step back in, you know, Byron, um, I'm a big fan of having conversations in my head, um, you know, to, I don't say often out loud that there are usually at least two conversations going on at one time, because then people want my wonder, do I need to be diagnosed? But I, I'm, I'm joking. I digress. I'm known to do. But um, every time you have one of those thoughts, place a, 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 a different voice in your head. It's still Byron, but have that voice to say to that first thought, you know what? I don't believe you today. Today, I may believe you tomorrow, and I definitely believed you yesterday, but I'm not going to believe you today. I believe I'm better than this thought. And, and it takes a lot of work in the beginning, but the more you do it, the less often you find yourself having to do it. And when I'm really, really frustrated, this is an anger management thing that was taught to me years and years ago. I just go out, find a, a space where I can throw a big rock and I hold that rock really tight. And I tell that rock all the negative things I'm thinking or all the bad things I'm feeling. Then I scream at the top of my lungs and I, I like to pick a fence or a tree or something because I want to hear that rock go thunk or clank or bang. I don't want to hear it go crash and then hear all kinds of little tinkling because then I'm on the face of somebody's window. <laughs> but <laughs> that's something that works for me. I thought it might be fun to share that. Any other thoughts, Byron? No. Um, yeah, just, you know, that imposter syndrome definitely uh, sits with me now and then where, you know, <clears throat> you tell yourself the that like oh there's so many things you could be doing better you're procrastinating you're not doing enough so i will definitely make an effort to rather than say you're not doing enough you, you know say you know you're doing mm -hmm. a lot you're doing a lot mm -hmm. what you know what else mm -hmm. you know can you be doing instead of saying you're not doing what enough. else can you be doing exactly that is such a better no go ahead ma'am and byron consider what lynn said the most important thing any of us can do all of us on this call, show up. And when you show up, show up as you, as your authentic self. And that's it. And that's it. And if everybody on this call wants to unmute for a second and just say, Byron, we love you, we are very, very happy to hear you all do that. Byron, we love you. We love, love you, you, Byron. You. Byron, we Yay. love you. Yeah. We okay, you, I'm going to go hide now. Bye. <laughs> thanks, thanks to um, community mama bear, Cindy, who, you know, has trained us all during karaoke for that 30-second shout-out period. Everybody did a great job. Sheila, who's up next? <laughs> I'll have to use that sometime. <laughs> Area code 415 ending in 821. You can unmute. Well, that's Margie. Again. Oh, I you came back in a different phone. Yeah, okay. I was kidnapped. I was kidnapped and driven two blocks away from Mother's Day brunch. Oh, nice. so oh I had to wonderful. move to my mobile phone. Oh, nice. Yes, exactly. Um, anyway, I just had a thought that I use... Um, I wanted to share with Byron, and, and I hope this is helpful to more than just Byron, but you know, I grew up with a lot of negative self-talk, and when you're always told you're stupid and you're dumb and all that, well, that's, that's all you hear, and that's what you grew up knowing, and in my journey of sobriety, I have learned to um, learn something that's very valuable. When I go, oh, Margie, that, you're so stupid. All I can hear is a bunch of my friends telling me that and what I tolerate it. And the answer is absolutely not. 
when I tell myself I'm not deserving? Would I allow a bunch of my friends to tell me that? Absolutely not. And as soon as I can place that in, in order like that, then I counteract it. And, and I say, no, you're actually pretty smart, you know. Um, so first it's recognizing it and would I allow anybody else? And if I'm not going to allow anybody else, why am the heck am I going to allow myself? And then the second thing is to counteract it with, with a positive thought or positive statement. Thanks. But she just, she just did self-compassion. That was yep. what we were talking about when we were talking about self-compassion. You know, to piggyback on on what Margie was saying, um, I, I do two things pretty regularly. You know, I talked about talking to myself in the mirror. Um, and I do what I call an emotional self-check-in or an emotional triage. And they're different. And the reason, the reason that they're different is the emotional self-check-in is for me just to kind of go through the thoughts and feelings in my head and in my heart and, and, and figure out what's real, what might be reactionary to something else, what is, you know, those old voices from when I was a kid telling me I'm not enough, um, you know, and that's my emotional check-in. But when I find myself in frustration or anger, thoughts or feelings, I do an emotional triage. And, and I figured out over the last couple of months, and a lot of this started because of, of how I was dealing with my mom passing and realizing that, you know, all of the, the real world things that had to be taken care of clothes being donated, the house being closed up, the services, you know, once all the real life stuff was done, I had all these feelings and thoughts that I'd never really, at least I don't remember feeling that way before. And so I started trying to pick it apart and saying, okay, I'm feeling this. I'm getting angry. I'm saying I'm being short with Gabriel, for instance, and he didn't do anything to me. Why am I being short with him? Just because he's not doing something the way I want it done or whatever it be. And I found that most of the time when I, when I triaged and picked it apart, that it was something else. And so, you know, I think that's part of self-care too, diving in and figuring out what's real and what are the voices that have always been telling you things that you don't really consciously pay attention to. So that's, I, that's my piggyback you, on March. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And I, and I want to give you one more thing to think about in this terms of discussion, okay? Because I don't want to, just speaking for myself, I don't want to go too past where I'm supposed to go. But one thing I would encourage you to do, and this is, again, another thing for all of us, make sure that you are part of a community or communities where you are getting the type of reinforcement, the type of language, the type of um, support that you need to keep you on track. And that's why one of those lifestyle principles is healthy and supportive relationships because it makes a difference. And so I think however that works for you, it could be something that's faith-based or hobby-based or even relative to uh, ethnicity or something like that. But we found that being part of a community is very, very critical. Because, or, you know, make sure you don't miss Sunday edition. However you do that. (laughs) I like that idea. That's a great one. (laughs) That you have to get into that sense of community because you're going, we all need it. We all need it. Even those of us who don't like to admit it, we all need the support of being in um, healthy relationships. Thanks, Anthony. Absolutely. Sheila, who's up next? Jane, unmute. 
I really uh, appreciate this part of the program. When I think about self-talk and how we can beat ourselves up, there are a couple things I do. I love to walk. If I can take myself mm. or whatever it is for a little walk, uh, that makes a huge difference to me emotionally. If no. I can give myself the gift of time, so you don't have to solve this right now, mama, which is a nice way of saying the other thing. Um, I appreciated your uh, description of the rock. There was a time in my life, having lived in Minnesota for many years, when I took my little old self down by the Mississippi River, gathered up a huge pile of rocks, and named every rock a something. And, and you left out the word splash, Anthony. Splash, you got to crash. But, but yes. what a gift that was. Yes. And then to picture that river moving toward the sea. And anyway, that's all. So give yourselves time and space. I often will reach out and just put my right hand on my left arm as a way of affirming that my left arm um, or left hand doesn't have to be picking at my cuticles if I'm anxious and then I stop. So well, maybe that can help somebody. You know, Pam, before, before we take another hand and, and just a very general term, um, I know that a lot of the professionals out there say that some form of spirituality it really is is a real positive affectations on our emotional well-being. Is there anything you can share with us on on that thought process? You're yeah. asking asking me, or should I be quiet? Um, I asked Pam, but if you've got oh, if you've got I missed, something on that too, <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, if you'd I like missed, to say something, I'm I'm I can wait. <laughs> all I all I want to say is walking and singing really do it for okay. me. And I make up lots of songs about a lot of things. And to me, that keeps me closer to God than I can be without, without it. And I, I value God as a creator and sustainer and a merciful God. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's very interesting because so often when we say the word spirituality, some people go into a bit of a panic because they think what we're going to talk about is quote unquote organized religion. But what we're really talking about is that the reality is that we have a body, you know, our physical body, and there is a spirit and how that spirit manifests itself it's it's different for different people. And some, it is, it is quote unquote, faith-based organized religions. Others, it's, it's captured in their relationship with even nature. There are so many ways to deal with spirituality. But what I will say, it is a part of ourselves that cannot be ignored because it's there whether you acknowledge it or not. And there are those times appropriate with who you are. Um, no matter what, group of people I've worked with, I've always encouraged people to deal with the spiritual side of themselves however they wanted to do it. 
because again, it can be so different, but so very, very necessary. And again, we're talking about something that's going to contribute, not something that's going to take away or make it harder or be uncomfortable. Uh, I am a woman of faith. That's who I am. I have no problem sharing that with people. I know my worldview. I, I know where I stand. But the thing I know the most is how to love people. That's my big thing. Okay. That, that's where I start. So each of us can have it and not be fearful of it. And again, be part of that community that celebrates the spiritual side of you. And one thing I've learned, especially through the internet, there's a community that celebrates all kinds of spirituality. So yep. you would be able um, to find people, but but don't ignore that part because it is very important to your mental health and very important to emotional well-being. Thanks, Anne. You know, a religious person, and, and I went on a, a religious journey <laughs> earlier in life trying to find a place that the tenets of whatever organized and I sat in on Judaism, Buddhism. Um, I found a lot of things from Kabbalah that I liked, um, but I never really found an organized religion that I felt completely comfortable in. But I had a lot of conversations and one spiritual director told me that spirituality isn't about God itself. It isn't about a higher power that's named. It's about understanding that we our individual are part of a greater collective, however that happens to mean and work for us. And when, when the God component was translated to me like that, I suddenly found that I had no more fear of, of it feeling wrong or, or some parts of it being wrong. I just wanted to tap into the, the, the bigger collective of it and feel humanity amongst each other and amongst myself. So if that I helps anyone... <laughs> I, if that helps we anyone, define I did it, my job today. Yeah. I think how we define it is going to be based upon where we are and who we are and how we, we are raised. And so sometimes while it can be helpful to do the definitions, sometimes we want to watch them too. Because the, the challenge here is spirituality in the pure sense of the word is limitless. It's what you make it, really. It's going to be how you see it, how it manifests your, it's in your life. And what my big thing is, is to create an environment where people feel free to talk about it. And they used to tease me when I was in practice. I was in a group practice as a therapist because I was one of the few people who had no problems telling my clients about my spirituality. And people said, but if you do that, you know, it's none of their business and they might not want to work with you if I, they know this thing about you. I never had anybody leave. As a matter of fact, they appreciated the honesty because it created an opportunity for them to share who they are. And I want to get to know like all of people. I'm not talking about all of your business, but just want to know kind of the whole you. And I think that's part of it. Absolutely. All right, Sheila, who's up? And you have 10 minutes, Anthony. All right. Um, Melanie. I had to speak up again. I, when we are doing our best to um, use the positive self-talk and things, I noticed that when we get a chance to, to love and to support others, if we don't get to do that, it's, it's often tough to 
love ourselves and if we have that chance to know what it feels like to benefit we also in turn benefit and we we get that realization that we've done something good and i i feel like love it when early yeah. childhood trauma is still happening you know i am i'm nearing 37 and still in the the first situation that has induced these severe conditions and yeah i do believe a lot of these could have been prevented or minimized and of course the preemie stuff you know conventional treatments they don't understand what really happened to us and things but i when we're told you know when it, it's i'm almost waiting when someone says you wrote some a really awesome article or you you did that or you you really are positive for me i'm almost waiting for a but but you go on about whatever but you made a mistake you did this little thing wrong and mm-hmm. <laughs> i have two people telling yeah. me daily whatever you did you caused you and I've, I've internalized it so much that some of my auditory hallucinations, when I'm completely alone, I'll hear those things even when I'm not thinking about it and I'm not trying to. And yeah. people say, you're just negative, you're trying to, but no. And so it's so hard to get around people. And when people say, I'm afraid of your environment, I don't want to come around and I respect that. And it's not me, it's them, but I still think it's me. You know, it's just so hard to correct that after over 17 years of all these psychotropic meds and therapies and the ECT, I had it too. You know, it's like, really? <laughs> Melanie, I want to, I want to redirect you for a second and ask, because I think, I think you'll have a really poignant answer for folks out there. You know, one of the things that that is the most um, hurtful in the mental health and emotional well-being space is stigma. And, and not one of, the most hurtful thing is stigma, and there's too much of it. So from, from your perspective, the stigmas that exist, how do they hurt and hinder you individually? If, you know, if you're speaking to a panel of, 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 of folks who want to do and help and be better as far as stigma was concerned, what would you say to them about stigma and how it makes you feel personally? That we've got to start saying what happened to you, not what's wrong with you, not you're a problem, you have problems, you have these, these mental, you know, you're a prob- problem child and all this. No, we had things happen to us that were ripped from the headlines and based on true events, super tough to prove and maybe unprovable. And that's what we have to work with. We're all human beings we're all brothers and sisters and we had things happen to us there's nothing wrong with us I don't know that I would change any of these diagnoses I want to work with them and use them to benefit and my other evaluation is actually for next January so and it's, it seems to fall in place it's just a long time to wait but I I've got to get the what's the, the wrong with you and the negative and you can't talk about your conditions and nobody wants to hear about your hard life and all this because it is a hard life and you know, it's not fair and we need to be around people who understand that, not people who are going to be. And I find that the healthcare system and families of origin are the two main stigmatizers. A lot of mental health professionals are that don't understand, that won't try to understand any additional disabilities and mental health is seen as so separate. It's one reason why I don't have a medical team. They'll remind me of these things and, oh, it's all this and that. And my heart condition and other things don't seem to matter. No one knows what to do with what the infection did. So that's where the stigma, and it's easier not to even try after trying five systems to, you know, it's, it's easier to live in silence and, and succumb. And family of origin that the system wants to work with, the family that we pick who can't legally do a thing for us, who um, would be able to morally do a thing. I'm going to stop you right there. Because you said something really important. 
And if you can, if you can focalize on this and, and tell folks, what does it really mean to suffer in silence? Why do you find, why do you find that that exists? Is it directly correlated to the stigma? Yes, I, I, I know that when I was, and I hope this is okay to say, when I was three to five and a victim, well, a survivor, I need to not say a victim, of an alternate form of sexual abuse, and I was so afraid that I would be stigmatized back then before I knew what the word stigma meant, and I was in school, and I was trapped, and didn't know how to say no. I didn't know until 2017, and it's it's the suffering and silence. You'd almost rather take what's happening to you, the emotional, the verbal, the physical, the anything, the starvation, the whatever, the neglect, the stigma, is. it's almost easier to take that unbearable yeah yes all right or to watch it someone happen it's easier to take it yourself than to watch it happen to someone you love and you do anything to speak up and then when you can't save someone you love that is more traumatic and you just want to let more happen to you because it's almost easier it's like okay i couldn't save that person but then there's community and luckily we have a beautiful community structure here but there's community everywhere whether it be a church, it be a four, you know, a four clover club or um, YMCA, there's community everywhere. And I'm, I'm so afraid for folks out there that are suffering in silence. And I hope that if one person hears this today and speaks up somewhere, anywhere, reaches I'd out had, for I'm community, sorry. reaches out for, for a relationship. That's, that's one of the things that I, I hope for every day. I had had mental health first aid training probably 12 or so years ago, didn't take the position on because of the situation. I didn't know, you know, safety issues and benefits and what I was going to be working with. And I think if I get out of here, I possibly eventually could. And I would love to help facilitate a call maybe in the future. I don't know if this would be okay, but how a visually impaired person, even a congenitally blind person experiences things like a psychosis and the different aspects or a flashback or a panic attack and dissociation, what what that means for us, like thinking I can move the pins in my braille display with my thoughts or hearing my technology talk or thinking I can talk, you know, things like that, that the community might not be thinking of and how I've experienced these different aspects of treatments in different facilities and how, you know, being left and refused multiple times helped my first responders on community, that the stigma of that and knowing I needed help, you know, I would love to hit some of these things in the future if that would possibly, you know, be like with a disclaimer, maybe. Melanie, we do have that that challenge, and I think that's why um, you'll be hearing more from this group in terms of a disclaimer and ways that we can address some of what you're talking about, but they may have to be done in a different environment because there are some liability issues and some things we have to consider. But the important thing, not but, and the important thing is no matter when that topic comes up, that where we can be useful is on the education side, the resource side, and the advocacy side so that people don't have to live in silence or there is a community where people um, can talk about that kind of a thing. Because the one thing that in talking with everyone today, and I just want to say this briefly, as I have listened, I have heard some things come up. And I, I hope that even as we talk about some things, please, please, please get somewhere to get some help because we don't want to open up things and then leave them hanging and you're you know still kind of dealing with some stuff thanks anthony thank you thank you melanie you have two minutes all right we'll take one more hand lynn 
I just wanted to say we don't know who we influence and how we influence people. We don't know the impact we have on people. And uh, my uh, university had had a um, imposter syndrome uh, talk, and I missed it because I was at my homeowners association meeting. But you know, especially when you're going for a doctorate, you you don't, you don't think you deserve it and stuff like that. And I'm in my last week of my third quarter. But you know, I do think that we have to think again how we talk to people, how we talk to ourselves. The imposter syndrome is part of that self-talk, self you know, sabotage things. So that's what I wanted to say. I really care about both of you. I care about all the people on this call. And Melody, thank you for bringing up all these issues. And I appreciate you too, Margie and Byron. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that is Sunday edition. And you too, man. (laughs) (laughs) Back at you. That is Sunday edition for today. I want to thank Byron and Sheila. Of course, I want to thank Pam and all of our wonderful call-in guests. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week with another great show. And stay tuned to those community emails for the rest of the mental health, uh, mental health awareness and emotional well-being conversations that we'll be having the rest of the month. Um, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thanks. Have a good day. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. Stream one. That's American Council of the Blind Media or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays. And you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.